Welcome to InsureTech Bytes, the podcast for the future of insurance. We bring you the latest developments in insurance with exclusive interviews with the industry's trailblazers. No hype, no pie in the sky. We want to know what's on your mind, so tweet us at InsureTech Rising. I'm Rocío Sarriegui, editor of InsureTech Rising, and we are here on-site at InsureTech Rising US in Boston. Over the next two days, we will be enjoying panels with digital and insurance experts, discussing the latest developments shaping the industry, from AI to digital disruption, underwriting to partnerships, as well as some InsureTech demos from some of the leading startups from the US and beyond. Here is a live recording of one of our panels, Featuring Guy Fraker, Chief Innovation Officer at Insurance Thought Leadership, Sia Summon, Chief Innovation Officer at MedLife, and Dele Oladapo, Chief Enterprise Architect and Technical Innovation Officer at Prudential. Here is what they have to say on whether insurers are moving fast enough on the road to change. As the title uh, brings forward, this gets more about the pace and what it takes to achieve pace. Um, I think there are five or six great myths about innovation, and um, we'll, we'll dive into that through, through the questions I'm gonna pose to, to this panel. And so, uh, opening up, I'd like you to uh, help me welcome um, Dele, uh, is it? Oladapo. thank you, from uh, Prudential. Um, and then we have Susan, who is, by the way, we got to give Susan some props here. Um, there was a problem with some travel and personal challenges, and she is standing in at the last minute um, for Zia, and, and uh, appreciate you doing that, so welcome, Susan. Um, and then uh, also, finally, Zia joins us back for uh, some more comments, uh, building on his remarks this morning. Um, so with, uh, please help me welcome the panel first. So there was more in the agenda than just the topical question that we see in front of us. So what I want to start out with first is this notion of how we define change and we tend to throw, I said this earlier with digitization, we tend to throw innovation and total transformation in, either use those interchangeably or throw them together in the same sentence. Does committing to intentional efforts in the way of innovation equate to a commitment to reinventing the whole company in, in your experience to date? Tell you, don't mind opening sure, up. Um, so I'd, I'd say no, it, it really depends on um, where the mandate comes from. So from a you know, senior management perspective, there's got to be buy-in on the urgency and the way you manage the competing priorities around maintaining the flows of business that you have today versus the focus that you have to have on change that is not as easily identified as in other industries. I think um, we have certainly um, taken the page from the 
blockbuster Netflix, Netflix effect, the Uber effect, but the regulated nature of the way the insurance industry changes, and even from the earlier comments around, you know, focus on some of the immediate change and not really sure as to when the long-term change will happen, and even more importantly, how it's going to show up, it leaves you with a, a set of notions around how do you further augment and evolve your current corporate culture so that you have the experimentation, you have the um, ability to take some of the institutional knowledge that you have, have much more interest in the data and the experience that you're driving, and then understanding certain change that you have to do, such as moving from product to customer. Um, you know, what I'd also say is, you know, insure tech conferences in and of themselves are, I think, a, a, a note to the fact that change does require a concerted effort. It does require a bit of an industry view because the competitive nature of to how we work, we kind of do a leapfrog effect on each other anyway. So it's a little difficult to come out with a killer app that will give you sustained competitive advantage. So I think the momentum that gets built is through the culture, through the talent that you have. And then the, the investments that you make on you know, capabilities such as digital analytics. Okay. So I, I view innovation as a lot of ways a cooperative iterative process within a company and external to the company. So you have to watch what your marketplace is doing, so you, but you're regulated, so you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be out of business. But you may see parts of your business substantially change, which then will affect your entire business model. So. I think you always have to have this kind of grassroots feeling about innovating because your customers are pretty grassroots in the end and you need to be responsive to them. And um, I, I agree, it, it is definitely depends on the commitment of how a company sets out for innovation, what their, what their goal is, where that support is coming from. And, it, it doesn't have to be so scary, though. It, it tends to be a very scary word for a lot of companies, and it really should be an exciting word for them. Great. Um, and, and Zia, just uh, great job this morning. Thank you again for that keynote. That was wonderful. Um, so I, I think it's good to define what, what, what each of them means, right? Transformation is a stark change metamorphosis from one state to another. And uh, if you think of the classic caterpillar to butterfly or change in your core business model. It, it is a big choice to go through either transformation A, to use from Insight's work, which is reinventing the core, or transformation B, which is creating new businesses out of, out, out of uh, nothing. Um, the idea around innovation is important to define. We say it's doing something different that somebody's willing to pay for. And that does not require a full-scale, stark transformation. Right. Um, let's look at a company that many of you might know, Dyson, the uh, British company. They are one of the more innovative companies, certainly in Europe and the world. And what Dyson is capable of doing is to say, what is our core strength, which is to innovate over and over again with their core bit of IP. Are they in a massive transformation? Absolutely not. Are they potentially moving from category to category, leveraging their, 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 um, their strengths, doing something different that people are willing to pay for? Absolutely. So you can have companies like Google and Alphabet and others, innovative companies that aren't transforming themselves. It just so happens that insurance, we're almost all in a transformation journey, and innovation's one of the ways that we're going to get there. But it could be, as you said earlier, uh, sort of subscale, and that's okay. 
Yeah, I, I will tell you from 12 years of coaching insurers on, so my background, by the way, is 30 years in the industry. The past 12 years, coaching companies on setting up innovation systems, and the most uh, successful, so 10 to 20 times the investment in a projected ROI, um, the most successful innovation efforts started with a team of two and a team of three. Um, uh, and, and you'll hear from one of those companies later in the program who's just was also doing very well. But um, I agree, it, it, it is a commitment to, do, to being willing to explore, not a commitment to reinvent the company. So I, I want to hold off for a second on the pace question because we had a question on the last session that I'd like to bring over. Um, how has your organizations uh, either sold middle management on the, that it's okay to stick their neck out, if you will, and, and supply people on a full-time or temporary basis for ideas, um, but there's usually no cultural incentive for anybody to in, risk their career trajectory to do the, what they might perceive as the flavor of the month. Um, and, and then likewise, with a new venture, how do you approach uh, organizations and help to overcome the distributed decision making and all, all of that? But let, let's start with just managing the middle of the organization and getting the buy-in to uh, where, where the rubber really hits the road. Zia, you want to start and we'll work our way back. I, I, real short, it, it's very, very hard to, to affect the, mar the marzipan layer. Uh, you get the, That's a great description. You get the, 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 the people on, who are willing to do the work, uh, and then you, you, get, you can get the leaders because there's fewer of them, and you can uh, just simply use this is something we ought to do in small group settings. But that marzipan layer is tough. Imagine that marzipan layer as a non-Japanese speaking person in our, one of our largest businesses. It's extremely hard. Um, I go back to the, the simple thing. It's just I, I go back to employer value proposition. We are not hiring the best people because people don't want to work not just in our industry, but they don't want to work for a company that gives you not so modern tools, uh, rigorous processes, regulated, and people who say no, and middle managers who say no, you can't do that, and there's a strong hierarchy, the steepest I've ever seen. We just cannot compete for talent, including diversity talent, in that environment unless you, the middle management, change. And if you don't, we'll go find middle managers who are capable of change and instituting the culture and behaviors that we need. So get to the, the core issue of talent and employer value proposition. If you are not focusing on that, uh, we'll find someone who will. OK. Dale, I want to go to you, and then we'll go to communicating in. Sure. Um, so the middle management component is tough, right? That, that's where the rubber hits the road with the execution of the current business model. Um, it really does require the leadership that you do get vested in this notion of change, not only providing you know, commentary at the top, which we do, but actually spending time with that middle management group. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll use cloud as an example. We're on the hybrid cloud journey as, as, as many of um, the other folks in the insurance industry. Um, the Amazon model is entirely different from the enterprise IT model, but the competency around 
resiliency, disaster recovery, performance, those enterprise level competencies need to be carried over, right? When you, when you connect your environment to Amazon, it's, I always call it like the Home, De Home Depot effect. If you're a contractor, Home Depot is great, but if you're like me and you can barely put a nail on the wall, Home Depot isn't so useful. I actually need like a lulls. I need like extra caring and feeding. So um, <laughs> making sure that middle management understands that they have a significant role to play, that their institutional knowledge and their skill set is key and then reminding them that we've been on this um, innovative journey in the outset, right? Um, mm -hmm. 20 years ago when, you know, client server was supposed to displace the mainframe, we kind of saw how that worked out. The mainframe legacy systems are still here and we have a distributed computing. So rather than it being a notion of you need to make this change or else, it's you've already been part of the change. Mm. We're now seeing change at a scale and at a pace that has been unprecedented for us all. And the good news is you have a lot of retail examples that resonate, right? The Amazon effect, the Uber effect, et cetera. So it's not a hard sell for the notion of displacement at the company level to happen, whether it be the crisis that we went through in 2008 or whether it be the disruptors that we see in other industries, the call to action is there. But I do think you have to meet people where they are. I do think you need to identify those who are the leaders within that middle management faction and then lean on them because they've got more credibility and more ability to impact the rest of their peers than upper management. You know, with the upper management, you hear the messages, but if there's not a good relation to the day in and day out expertise and challenges, it, it can be ignored. But if you do find the five to 10% who have the credibility and the passion to make that change and to learn, so the people who are getting AWS certifications on their own, or the people who are getting Azure certifications on their own, those are the ones that you have to seek out, right? So you have to actually look at the behavior of those who are exhibiting a desire to learn more, yeah. do things differently, and are respected leaders within that middle manager, uh -huh. and then start to put them in position to kind of lead the change in a, in, in a, in a way that you can get some scale. Great, thank you. Good tips. So I'm coming from the perspective of the startup. Um, and it's literally a brand new startup that is coming to the United States and based in Europe right now, which is B3I, which you might know as the reinsurance group. And it's really interesting because it's a blockchain business that, or a blockchain platform. So that's two things. It's a platform. It requires a network or an ecosystem. So if you thought it was hard to find one middle manager to support you, mm -hmm. try finding a network. So it's really an interesting challenge for a startup in this particular arena to try and figure out how to get that network and how to get that buy-in. Where do you go? Do you go to the top? Probably because you want some corporate strategy. Do you go to the middle? Absolutely, because they're going to carry it around, carry it out. So you need to figure out who your sponsors are, who are the ones who find this really curious and interesting and who will take that back to management top and bottom, it's an art. I, I would definitely say this is something that, you know, from a startup perspective, this is not the only startup that I've been associated with. It is definitely uh, something that you feel your way through and you kind of get an idea of how to have these conversations. It involves a lot of education. It's kind of why I alluded to the word scary before, because education makes things not scary in a lot of ways. 
and you have to be very patient and very clear in your message. Um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. You don't go to the, just the senior executives. And I've seen other startups make that mistake and think that if they just get the CEO buy-in, everything will be good. If I got, it doesn't work that way. So it's, it's a multi-pronged approach. And you have to, literally, you just have to sort of understand how to serve people. And, and that's how you get going in it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell uh, just a real quick case study to, by way of um, creating time for the folks in the back. We can start posting the questions from the audience earlier because I think this is, uh, we're, this is a very important topic to cover and I want to make sure we, get, we have a little bit more time for all of your, your questions. Um, I got a text one day from a client CEO that was my office now. So I knew my job immediately was to prevent someone from losing their head. <laughs> and they had run an idea campaign, and a huge business division submitted zero ideas. And so this was one of those, help me, un I've, you know, help me understand why I shouldn't do something dramatic here. And rather than take that one on head on, I said, well, let's do something dramatic. Is there an anniversary, a birthday, any personal dates coming up to celebrate? Celebrating this individual was not what he had in mind. And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, it was a 25-year work anniversary. This was a divisional vice president. And I said, okay, well, you're going to take in a cake and balloons. And you're going to thank him for supporting your innovation efforts in front of the entire department. And celebrate his anniversary. And that's exactly what he did. Next idea campaign. You want to know where the most ideas came from? <laughs> and on our way out, he, could, he just couldn't help himself. We were walking out of this birthday party, or it was anniversary, anniversary celebration, and he looks over at the gentleman and says, now wasn't that better, easier than getting demoted? <laughs> Message received. This is not the flavor of the month. This is critical to the future. It's a systemic risk. And, and so I would, there are a lot, cash is last when we talk about incending the middle. Uh, there, you'd be surprised how far your recognition can go. Simple thank you note from somebody that they perceive to be in an ivory tower is so important. Um, we're using, again, just using the uh, Slido for, for the questions. Now, let's get, now let's address the pace issue. Um, from your perspective, just your thoughts on, is the industry adapting fast enough proactively or, um, actually, you know what, hold that. So, Here's the question. What's the number one thing that has helped each of your organizations, I would say, enter innovation and move faster? Fear. <laughs> okay. So we are the startup. So that, we, we are a group of established insurers who decided to innovate together. And so I, the pace for us is fire hose um, because we're, we're a startup. And so I, I, our problem or challenge really is how do we get the people who we came from to find us exciting and want to work with us? And so that's, it's, it's an interesting question. So I think, you know, the perspective of a startup is, is it can't happen fast enough even if it is happening at a fire hose pace because you're so excited about your idea, you really believe in it, 
and that's, that's why you're doing it. You want to bring some positive change to the industry, and you can't understand why everybody else doesn't see your viewpoint. I mean, obviously you can, but that, that's the, the tension there. And then, you know, you go to the traditional parts of the industry that you need to pair with, that you should be pairing with, and you want to pair with, and for, you, for them, maybe the meeting happens in a week or two weeks, or you know, it's not a big deal sometimes when things get put off a little bit. In a startup, it's actually a really big deal. So the perspective of each party is quite interesting and the challenges are there, but we're, we would say from a startup perspective that innovation is not happening fast enough because we're innovating. Um, so we're on the diametrically opposite side of, of large organizations, and yet we all come from large organizations in this startup, so we understand that. We have kind of a unique perspective because we're all from that same arena as well. Okay. So I was joking when I said fear, but fear is probably the right way to sum it up. Um, you know, the, the notion of the impact of disruption and the reality that even at the senior management level, the current level of performance where you sit in the marketplace is no, um, is no guarantee for forward-going success. With that said, you know, we do not believe there's gonna be a lightning rod Uber event that will just simply displace 100-plus-year-old firms that have you know, regulatory capability, risk management capability, um, an existing customer base, the data that you need to be able to have as input to be able to affect some of that change, right? So there's certainly um, an incumbent advantage, but the incumbents that do not figure out the fintech and surotech ecosystem that do not figure out how to take the human capital that we have from an employee perspective and tap into the um, innovative problem solving that they have against some of the more short-term issues as well as um, a percentage of the resources that you can have focused on the longer-term issues. Um, so that, that, mo that motion from the top is really required because Ultimately, from a compensation and employee perspective, if you don't feel like you're aligned with management, that could easily stymie the pace that you move. Um, so I think that senior management acknowledgement of disruption has been the most helpful. Hearing terms like fail fast from senior management and insurance companies is atypical. You know, I've been at Prudential for going on 21 years, and those are not terms that were used in the first 17 years or so. Um, the number of experiments that we have, not just from the group that's been um, deputized to be able to be innovative, but from product organizations, marketing organizations, sales organizations, core within the business, has been very encouraging because, again, if you're not carrying forward that institutional knowledge within the context of the macro trend capabilities of analytics, mobile, cloud, et cetera, you, you miss the, the ability to create you know, a sustainable market advantage. Yeah, I agree. I think the senior leader giving permission around experimentation might be the number one thing. And then just getting on with it. Doing a few without asking for permission, getting them out in the market, showing people how it can be done differently, showing people that it can fail um, for a lot less money, and quickly putting things out and saying, look, we did this. And that starts the experimentation process and eventually you get a portfolio of experiments. But the senior leader has to give you permission or the separation in Lumen Lab's case to go off and do you know, 50 right. things. 
Yeah, I, I, um, it, it's fascinating to me that we live in a ready, fire, aim industry where executives get paid to ask questions they either know the answers to or they get paid to make decisions in the moment. And innovation is really faith that you're going to go on a journey where you don't know the answers, but you know there is an answer, maybe a thousand answers. Um, and, and it's hard to trust that process. Um, we have a, a question I uh, want to raise about venture capital deal flows. Um, in terms of, do you think as people outside or within the insurance industry that aren't directly involved in venture capital, look at this massive capital flow that's going through some of these early stage firms, do you think that creates a misperception about what it takes from a resource perspective to move quickly in innovation? Not at all, not at all. I, I, mean, I think if anything, it's the opposite, is they look at the amount of capital flow and say it's not that meaningful as compared to other industries. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. The amount, of, the amount of venture going into cloud or other, other tech fields is much higher than where we are today. So I, I don't think it's, it's stymies investment at all. Tell yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, we're just, from an industry perspective, starting this adoption process and, and putting some um, focus on the journey that we need to take. Um, I think the notion of the dance partners that we're going to have going forward will be very interesting. Um, you know, years ago, there was a criteria of capability that a company would have to have to be able to be a dance partner. You had to have a certain amount of revenue. You had to, have a, you had to be able to get through the vendor management hurdle for us to be able to talk to you. Now it's a matter of how do you have the appropriate relationships with the VCs, with the startups, with the fintech hubs, mm -hmm. et cetera, because the innovative ways that you want to impact the customer, those startups have a lot of that capacity. What we have are the tens of millions of customers that you can really do an experiment at scale, and we already have revenue flow that comes in that could start to find its way into new categories. So I do think it's going to be a matter of what the dance partners look like going forward as opposed to a VC being able to fund the killer startup that will upend the entire industry. Okay. Now, I'm going to switch gears real quick because we're getting a lot of votes on a question. Fast forward to 2025, how would you complete the following statement? The single biggest impact the InsurTech movement had on the industry was, and Susan, I'd We'll put you on the spot first. <laughs> okay, so obviously from where I sit, I would say it will be uh, distributed ledger computing or some form of blockchain type data structure that will enable other sort of more platform-oriented businesses to be established and different types of ecosystems to stem from that. Okay. See? Yeah, I, I'll say two. Um, the, the first is the, the broader focus on the customer. Uh, it really, if you, if you look over the course of 10 years, massive impact on the companies that will make it to the next test curve will be those who really embed a, cult, a culture of um, focusing on that customer. But the second thing I, I might add is um, the InsurTech movement and, and InsurTechs broadly, the startup community broadly, 
adopting technologies like distributed ledger and others will find new ways of doing the same thing, creating new risk products for new risk pools. Um, and again, I think it's going to be outside the United States and Western Europe. People look back and say, who would have thought? But indeed, it's happening in China at a faster rate. And we'll look back and say, we should have looked in India and China earlier. Yeah, so, so I'd agree with the comment around the customer. That's, you know, for us, our product-oriented view and the way we've gone to the marketplace traditionally from a product perspective, you know, pivoting from a, into a customer focus is really key. And then, you know, I don't view it as blockchain by itself or AI by itself or cloud by itself. I really think um, the ability to... Um, reskill the talent that you already have to be an attractive dance partner to the startups that are there who can That's take right. the emerging technology of the day and leverage it so that you get more accretive value to the bottom line. I think that will be the, the way in which you're able to move forward. So you, it really does bring you back to that middle management component because it's your middle management that's um, controlling 90% of your resources and to be able to unlock that sunk investment in that human capital and by the way the ideas that they have as well right? uh -huh. so just because they haven't dropped out of college and I hope my son's not hearing this just because they haven't dropped out of college and made millions of dollars etc uh, you have embedded within your organization people who have the next great idea I think the story on the um, Amazon capability of if you've bought this product someone else has bought it was an idea of an employee. He wanted to put it into the system. They told him no. He put it in anyway, and then as they started the revenues increase, it was you're promoted. So, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a, a talent play, but not as defined as incrementally as we've seen in the past. Yeah, let me, uh, we'll close this session out. Um, I want to wrap these top three questions together. Um, I don't think it's a single technology. I think it's the acceptance of the inevitability of that technology internally to the industry that's going to define the 2025 question. Because the world is moving towards loss prevention and mitigation. Whether you think that's science fiction or not, the unspoken message of if we don't embrace, it won't happen, days are over. And so, it really is the defining factor moving forward for the life in the industry, for personal lines, for commercial. It, all roads generally lead to AI in some form, driverless cars. It's been my focus for nine years. I've helped 2,900 companies set up vehicles. 2,900, most people think about 50 auto manufacturers. It is about AI making decisions, but the defining factor for the industry is the acceptance of what the capabilities can do and being fearlessly curious about the fact that no matter what the answer is, you can find one. This is an age of giant killers. And so I, um, I want to hopefully leave you with that thought that you don't have to know where you're going to end up. It's not a commitment, it's an exploration. Plenty of time to make decisions. What would it take and should we do it are two different questions. And, and so the, once you break those down, all roads 
lead to success. Maybe some iteration, but success. Uh, help me thank the panel. I wish we had more time, um, and, but great input. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to InsureTech Bytes, the podcast for the future of insurance. We want to know what's on your mind, so tweet us at InsureTech Rising. 